3: It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes.
0: Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain, in the (laughs) team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and thanks for choosing Second cabins at the Irish Times. It's Mark Horgan and Murphin for Owen McDevitt today. The Golden Boy will be back from Monday's shows. Greetings, Murph. Greetings to you, Mark. So much to talk about today: curses in sport, Gavin Duffy playing alongside Aidan O'Shea in Mayo's midfield, Johnny Football and Michael Sam, the Donald Trump Maliki clerk feud, and as of, and as of this morning, the new Ritz Supremo Eddie O'Sullivan. Where do you want to start? I mean, Mark, where is he even going to play? Will he be part of a two-man full forward line with <laughs> Killian O'Connor, thereby releasing any
4: more for okay. the half line? then there's no room for Alan Freeman. And what does all this mean for Mikey Sweeney? I mean, it's got to be Gavin
0: Duffy, Mark. It's the sports story of the year. Can they get a pair of O'Neill shorts to fit him or will he want to wear the rugby shorts? Oh, you can't wear rugby shorts. I've seen a few
4: lads wearing rugby shorts in the GAA field. It just, it just looks wrong. Mark, you know, uh, so I'm sure that there is. listen, if they can get it, find a pair for Aiden O'Shea, they can find a pair for Gavin Duffy. Listen, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I'm
0: not happy. There's been lads training all year, and yeah. this lad just swans, swans in from in, Galway yeah. <laughs> and straight onto the panel. Murph, that's what I've listen, heard. That's what I've heard in many junior championship dressing rooms. And me, I presume mm. it's the same for Inter County. They'd still have loads of crap players in the panel just because they've been hanging around training since yeah. October, right? Just
4: muttering darkly about this new lad. Yeah. Probably a bit tanned as well, having played in the South of France once or twice over the yeah. course of 13 years. That'll be enough for them. But uh, no, I mean, listen, if you, if you want to look at it that way, you know, in the, the, in the micro level, that's bad news for those, those lads who've been trained away <laughs> since January. Uh, but on, on the macro level, I mean, I think this is a sign, you know, rugby, it's had a good couple of years, but it's over now. It's mm. finished and we're winning our brave boys back. One one boy at a time. <laughs> Gavin Duffy's just a shard of it, you know. We have, we have I have a full list of them here, and they'll all be back by the end of this summer. I can tell you, Tommaso O'Leary, Shawnee O'Brien, he's back from injury just in time for the championship. <laughs> you may have noticed that
0: Simon also wanted to remind us that Jinxie Beggy was the was the first man to to yeah.
4: blaze this trail. It is, I mean, it is, you know, and we we we, we can never forget. Jinxie Beggies Hashtag remember Jinxie Yeah, contribution to the, the The whole the whole scene there I always
0: loved in those Championship dressing rooms Just before your the, the speech In the changing room In the juniors Just before you're going out Onto the pitch It's always referred to And if you're not doing it There's, there's three lads Waiting here to come on <laughs> If you're not And you look over behind And like, one of them's got one leg yeah. One of them's eating the 99 And yeah. the other lad's Looking out a window pair, you know? Wearing a pair of rudders. Yeah Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I I think I could probably Use yeah. my way into this game uh, Poor Old Benfica lost again In the European final last night going down on penalties to Sevilla in the Europa League final a stunning inability to convert chances into goals in normal time or a curse Murph a curse <laughs>
4: <laughs> well it's obvious Mark it's obvious that it's a curse I mean they're not It's they're not the only team currently working under these sort of straightened circumstances mm. where for reasons you know they, they vary from sport to sport but someone has put a curse on them and that's just the way it is I mean we, we all know the examples uh, Biddy Early of course the, the curse was finally laid in 1995 by Anthony Daly and Claire. but of course there's the male footballer curse as well I don't know if you know the, the details of this but the story goes that uh, they won the All-Ireland in 1951 and they were going through Foxford and the team didn't pay sufficient respect to a funeral <laughs> that yeah, was happening in Foxford at the time Right, so the priest in question put a curse on the male footballers that while any of the 1951 team were alive they wouldn't win All-Ireland now I'm no theologian Isn't putting a curse on a team not strictly the sort of thing a priest... Isn't it actually the opposite of what a priest would do in that we're basically talking about witchcraft here? You know, that's what a curse is, right?
0: Also, you know... I I think I can pick a hole in the Bella Gutmann course, the the curse, the, the, Benfica, the, the, the Benfica one. Benfica yeah. one, and I, uh, Bella led Benfica to European glory in sixty one and sixty two. And after being denied a pay rise after that sixty <laughs> two victory, he cursed the club, okay. saying they wouldn't win another European title for a hundred years, which I think's pretty harsh. Harsh enough, uh, you know. But they, and they've lost eight since. Unfair dismissal court. I Maybe mean, you could have to that. But this <laughs> but, curse thing. But what confuses me is that Bella went back and managed them in sixty five. Mm. So surely he could have just lifted his own curse. I mean. I mean, yeah, that is that is certainly true. I mean,
4: also, what gives Bella Gutman the ability? I mean, <laughs> can I can I curse someone?
0: I mean, is is it, is it as simple as that? I mean, do you have to have some sort of mystical powers? Do you want to hear my own favorite sporting curse? Do I? Okay, this is I don't know if you've heard of this one before. I was reading up on it? This is the curse of the colonel. And it refers to a curse place in the Japanese ha- Japanese Hanshin Tigers baseball team by deceased KFC founder and mascot Colonel Harlan Sanders. <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, I had. Yeah, so that. the
0: Tigers they win the eighty five Japanese championship mm-hmm. and cue widespread delirium. This is what the Hanshin fans are waiting for. Good times are back, etc. Yeah. The fans they're jumping into the Don- Dotonbori River to celebrate. Okay. Then they spot a nearby KFC, which is a life size Colonel Sanders sta- statue outside it. Okay. Okay. So they pick it up and they ro- lob it into the river for the laugh.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, uh, vandalism, but.
0: But Colonel Sanders finds out about this. The real Colonel Sanders finds out yeah. about it and he's not happy. And what do you expect he does? <laughs> uh, Immediately curses the Tigers. Curses. <laughs> and yeah. then they go on a massive losing streak and fans believe the team will never win another Japan series until the statue has been recovered. And according to my sources in this story, Murph, the curse of the Colonel has also been used as a boogeyman threat to those who divulged divulge the secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices that comprise the unique taste of his <laughs> chicken. So he uses the curse in two forms. In two forms. Yeah. Well,
4: okay... So all they all they have to do is rec- I mean it's it's not replace it, just they just have to recover the statues From that they the threw river. in the river. Have they And the good times will be back. Well they have looked in the river, like they have I'm not be entirely
0: clear I, you know, I'm not watertight all my knowledge isn't watertight in this Murph, yeah, but
4: Yeah. It just it kinda seems like that's you know, that's the first thing you do. You know, okay, if maybe if you can't drain the Dijumpura River or whatever the hell it is. I mean, I I would drain it. I mean if the Hanshin Tigers are as important to their fans as we think they are.
0: Well, US Murph coming up shortly, but the curse seemingly put on Eddie O'Sullivan being a head coach in Europe has been lifted, thankfully. I'm not sure if Colonel Sanders said anything to <laughs> awesome do with that. Awesome segue there, Thank Mark. you. But Shane Horgan and Liam Tolan join us now to talk about it. Shane, is Eddie back in the big time with Biarritz or is he jumping aboard something of a sinking ship?
1: Oh, well, listen, I think uh, from his perspective, it's a great move. Um, I think Biarritz still a big club, uh, they have gone down a division, and it 's a terrible year to go down a division because it's the big money the new uh, canal plus deal money kicks in next year, so it 'll be increasingly hard to compete and, and uh, retain your players that said though he has been in the wilderness you know quite inexplicably really for a, a number of years and getting back as head coach to what, what is a huge club is i think it 's a great move for him it 's a great job, although you know you would be weary that you know in the past be a they have a history of mismanagement, uh, interference from the boardroom, but I think it's overall it's a really good job for him.
0: Liam, what's your understanding um, about Eddie and the Munster backs coach job? How close was he to, to getting it, or had he been offered it, or um, what's your understanding of it?
5: Yeah, Mark, I, I'd heard that obviously. For a start, that he's interviewed, which is a major breakthrough considering that he wasn't even shortlisted or interviewed for the Connacht job, really, which mm. is a disgrace. So that was all good news. And uh, there seemed to be a, a real strong rugby sense to what's going on in Munster. Like Anthony Foley is building a team around him of, of real rugby people. Um, Mick O'Driscoll certainly flo- is floating through there. Brian Walsh was one of the clear uh, favourites I had heard a couple of weeks back. Brian Walsh would have played with Anthony Foley uh, some years back. I played with him at, at various levels as well. And he's 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 been coaching and very successfully at Cork Con, and he's brought a really good brand of rugby to Cork Con. Um, And sometimes Irish rugby can poo-poo a little bit what's going on in the club game. And as a result, lots of really good quality coaches who are doing a great job down there uh, might not get promoted. So Brian looks like now he's he's one of the favourites. But they're the two names I had heard, and I'd heard that both had been interviewed as well. So Delighted for Eddie, A, to be considered in an Irish role, but thrilled for him. to to get the role in in Biarritz. Um, My immediate reaction, a little like Shane, is that Biarritz are a huge club. Uh, We've had the good fortune to play against them in the past and a wonderful part of the country as well, beautiful down there. What's going to be really interesting for me is the more I I get get an understanding of French rugby, the more I I figure that their rugby model is built on phenomenal rugby athletes coming together to play with very little preparation, very little general Technical uh, preparation mm. certainly not comfortable videos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's something that Eddie would impact immediately, and uh, that that should bring very positive results if it's accepted by the group down there.
0: So it certainly doesn't seem, Shane, that that Eddie was going was nailed on in any way as, as the Munster's new Munster's back coach. But at the same time, say he was weighing up this uh, these two jobs, a backs coach and the B head job, as a kind of coach that he was, a dominant man and kind of an individual thinker. Is he much more suited to being a head coach rather than being someone's understudy?
1: Um, I think I think so. I think he's done that. I think he's capable uh, of uh, playing the backs role and you know being f- successful at it. But I think in himself he'd prefer to be the man pulling the strings, to have an overall direction, and have uh, players uh, working under him. Um, I'm sure there was plenty of things that he had to um, you know to weigh up if indeed he was offered the backs coach job in Munster. Um, be Ritz or, uh, or Kilkeig could have been one of the key considerations as well yeah. uh, I think going down to the side of France yeah, what an amazing place to work as well I think I, I share some of the concerns that uh, Liam has mentioned there um, I think in some ways if he was going to a top um, if he was going to a top division Be Ritz in the in the first division I think it may, it may cause more of an issue because, as Liam rightly said, they're, they're not big into their structures, they're not big into their analysis, they're, you know, they're more about heart and the individual talent of the players. But they'll, because they have gone down, they have to change something. There has to be a recognition that things haven't been going right, uh, their old methods hadn't worked, and I think as a result, there'll be, be a much greater opportunity for change. And Eddie will be brilliant. He'll put really strong structures in place. He'll have... Um, He's, got, he's going to have, by the sounds of it, he's going to have um, a, both a French forwards coach and a, and a backs coach. So I think that's a really positive thing as well. You don't want to bring in a completely different culture. He'll be knowledgeable enough to respect the idea that the French do have their own culture and you don't you know toss the baby out with the bathwater. You don't try and change everything overnight. But I think structures around defence, around set plays, and um, the overall direction and team patterns is really what Eddie's good at. And I'd imagine that's what... You know, be a rich need at the moment.
0: How much has the game changed since he left Ireland in two thousand and eight, though, Shane? Like I know he's with with the US in two thousand eleven in the World Cup and he's been coaching Gary Owen in the AIL, but he's been out of the, the top end of the game for a good while.
1: Now you're right. It has changed. It changed a huge degree. Rugby, I think, almost more than any other sport, changes year on year. And, you know, directly, because there's real changes pretty much every year, there's something um, going on. But it's a great sport for innovation. And in, like in Ireland, we're particularly good at innovation as well. Australia was always a great generator for innovation. But now I think Ireland is a huge one as well. I think France, less so. So I think a lot of the innovations that have um, occurred in the last number of years in professional game in Ireland haven't uh, seen their way uh, to be manifested in, in the French leagues. I think Eddie will be up to date. He's had, He's got his toe back in the water with Gary o. As you said, he was with um, the the US before that, and he's listen. Eddie's wanted a job in rugby since he stopped doing his last job, and he's wanted a job in the in the Northern Hemisphere. He's wanted a job in Europe since he finished uh, with um, with the States at the last World Cup. So he will be on top of what was going on. Of course, he won't be as up to date, maybe as as the people who have just finished, but uh, he will be doing, I'm sure, everything in his power to to bring himself up to speed. And and you know, once you're back in, you become the, where are the new innovations very quickly?
0: Yeah, Liam, you alluded to how he's been treated pretty poorly in Ireland um, when it comes to getting interviews and from the IRFU. But also, I kind of got a sense that when his name was being mentioned on Twitter, Uh, as the potential new Munster backs coach, that actually even from an Irish Munster fan's perspective, it certainly wasn't universally popular. Do you think his decision to actually just uh, go to France and get out of Ireland might have something to do with that, Uh, to do with the fact that it's actually kind of almost, he's been treated unfairly in a lot of levels over here and it almost might be more of a stress for him to stay in Ireland?
5: I think that a lot of people are confusing what professional sport is all about, and professional sport is is, is fundamentally about getting results and uh, pushing the the, the the quality of the team on and building and winning. That's professional sport, mm. and so we see it in the United States and we see it in, in particularly in, in soccer and the Premiership in England, where it's absolutely ruthless. And lots of times, I feel that Eddie was was uh, lost out for jobs in Ireland was because it became a personal vendetta it became an issue that the the union or the the branches weren't comfortable with either Sullivan coming back into the fold and I think that was a quite a naive stance to take particularly in Connacht because uh, it is a professional environment and really you need to be looking at who the best people are and that's what has impressed me with with Foley having brought him in for interview means that He's saying, listen, Eddie O'Sullivan is a very strong character. Eddie solomon has got a huge success at international level, and obviously Anthony Foley himself has yet to achieve that at, at that level. But in being prepared to come in and talk to him and interview him and bring him into the fold was an example of where professional sport is. In other words, if I'm the head coach a Munster, I need the best people around me. If Eddie O'Sullivan is one of the best people, he needs to be interviewed. He needs to be co- to come in. And the other provinces, particularly Connacht, didn't do that. So that was that was a pity. And I think a lot of the people who might have a, an opinion one way or the other, must first of all take into account. It is a professional sport and you need the best people there, and it is not an emotional decision, it is not a personality decision. Clearly, you need to get on with the person, but ultimately, it is who is the best person for the job? And that's what I was most happy to hear that Monster interviewing him. I think Biarritz have got a superb guy um, who who's going to bring in a whole raft of ideas. And I agree, of course, with Shane that there's people who might be a little bit fresher within the game. But remember, the experience he's brought in in three triple crowns, the experience of losing his job would be hugely beneficial. In other words, why did I lose my job? Why am I not getting jobs? they are character-building aspects that, that no doubt he'll develop. But another aspect of French rugby, which is most disappointing, is the academy systems generally are pretty poorly run. They're not producing players. It's because... French rugby have such a volume of athletes, a volume of people coming through that they can be kind of lazy. And in Irish rugby, we simply can't be lazy because we don't have that volume. So there's a huge amount of corporate knowledge Eddie Solman's going to bring to Beer Ritz that could transform the club over a period of five, six, seven years.
0: Who else is Anthony Foley going to surround himself with on his a coaching staff, Liam? It, it certainly seems he's building a, a local team or a, a, an Irish team, anyway.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and of course what's unique to Munster is that there is, has to be a Limerick and Cork team to it too, which is very unique in, in, in professional sports, so Brian Walsh is clearly a forerunner in the backs coaching job now he's been somewhat favoured for a number of weeks anyway, with Eddie Sullivan moving on, that puts him into the driving seat, so Brian is a on man, played Ireland Day, played for Munster and would have played with Anthony Foley uh, and actually coached with and against him down the years, so that that's a huge uh, part of, of the jigsaw, the Cork bit, because with, uh, with the transition from Cork to Limerick, as in the whole organisation, we'll be moving towards Limerick over a while. It's important to have that Cork foothold as well. So that's big. Mick O'Driscoll's also from Cork, and he's looking like he'd be involved in the, as the line stroke forwards kind of um, uh, player, more uh, suited to line-out, obviously. Uh, less experience in coaching than Brian would have, but very technically astute and very articulate guy and a real presence as well. So he's an important part of that jig. So Jerry Flannery is touted as potentially becoming involved in the, the scrummaging side. Uh, obviously, he's an international with lots and lots of experience, Limerick-based, but he spends part of his week in London with Arsenal. So I'm not 100% sure how that contractual and the job description of both, if they were to be blended and to be married together. But uh, the old days scrummaging, would have been um your scrum doctor would have arrived for about a forty minute window, would have come and gone and waxed lyrical and gone off. I think that would have to be progressed to a higher level where there'd be there's such it's such a significant part of the game that I think that you just couldn't come in for one afternoon and head away again. I think there's more to it than that and development of future players and future props and future scrummaging around the province. Yeah. So I'm not 100% sure how that might work if if, if it even does um, and Niall O'Donovan obviously continues to be the manager so he's obviously uh, shadowing and monster through and through so there's a real sense of the old guard coming back in but the old guard, not just a traditional old guard, they've actually, there's a, a lot of bright rugby in there as well. So the, the, it's an exciting time for Foley.
0: Shane, I didn't realise that Jerry was potentially going to be involved. Uh, we all know him and he's been on our show a good few times. You know what type of guy he is. Um, did he strike you as someone uh, when you were playing with him, as somebody that could potentially uh, become a good coach or show the characteristics that, that might be necessary in a coach?
1: Um, yeah as a person like you know jerry is is almost fanatical in detail, and he was as a player he was probably the, the best conditioned um, one of the best conditioned players i 've ever played with, probably a, a guy who made the most of his talent as well, he was incredibly hard working mm. Uh, very polished and I think that's sort of you know, that's been demonstrated in how he's um, chosen his career post rugby uh, he's involved in strength and conditioning in a big way I think he, he's got a masters in that he's um, involved in the Arsenal Academy and you know he does seem like he'd be a very good fit uh, for Munster uh, he certainly has you know an, an amazing bond with them he shared the very good times he's also relatable to players in the fact that he's had very good times he's had to work very hard to get them but he also he's, he's seen the other end of things as well well like he had to you know he wasn't immediately into the to, to the Munster squad he had to go away and come back you know he then he sat in behind uh, Frankie Sheehan for a while he, he sat in behind a uh, Shane Byrne mm. you know and he sort of did his apprenticeship and came through so he's he sort of ticked every box he can relate to the guys who are on the way up on the way down and the ones that are at the top as well so I don't know whether he'd come in from you know as a scrum coach as a technical coach or would you come in uh, strength and conditioning or as you know a bit of everything but you know he It'd be certainly very good man to have on the ticket. Um, I'd also, I'd heard about Brian Walsh as well. I think uh, they, I think he's been saying out a couple of times now. But it's it's a really a big jump to leave a secure job and, and I think that's probably hasn't been mentioned you know it, it's a big commitment to go and move into um, professional rugby coaching because there's not many jobs around if you look at the you know the career expectancy of top coaches uh, they're not very long look at Eddie O'Sullivan you would have thought mm. you know he, he, he couldn't not have a job for as long as he has but it's taken him a long time to get back in after he, he fell out of the system so you know that would be a big decision for Brian Walsh but again you know he looks as if he, he could be a good movie. he has success at club level um, very different although, uh, you know stepping it up uh, and I don't know technically how, how good or how, um, how proficient he is as a coach but um, he, I know he's very uh, highly regarded
0: Rob Penny's still the man in charge at the moment, Shane, and he dropped another clangor this week. Yeah, nobody knows what's going on in the boys' heads leading into games, and it's very hard to predict where they're at. It only manifests itself once the contest starts, and sometimes then it's too late. But I suppose the inconsistency is something that's a bit challenging here, that's a bit unique. It's not a great endorsement of his team coming into a semi-final?
1: Listen, I think coaches are always so much more interesting when they don't have to work the next <laughs> yeah. year in the following country. He's been gold since uh, since we found out <laughs> that he was going to Japan. Um, and uh, I think like the veil has certainly dropped a little bit and I, I think it's it's a couple of things are becoming clearer now it, I think he's peeved that he didn't get offered more than a one year contract I think that's you know I think he would have wanted to stay in, in Munster I know, I know he said um, you know he took this uh, job because of more security and go back home but I'm sure if he'd been offered a two or three year contract he would have stayed and that's what he wanted originally when, uh, when negotiations first opened um, I think he's peeved at that and also I think he's probably peeved a little bit at, at the performance of some of his players and not you know reacting in, in the way that he would like them to, to have. Now, you know, I've sort of probably said from the start of, of Penny's reign that I don't think, I think fundamentally there's a flaw in the system that he's been trying to employ with the Munster players. I think he's got good Munster players there. I think he's got uh, backs who he's not getting the most out of. I think he's done very well with the forwards and they look you know, for large uh, parts of, of this year they've looked impressive but um, I said it last week, I just don't think he's improved the way the backs move the ball across the back line. I just don't think they do. They don't hold players very well. They've, they're very lateral and it's very easy to defend against. And, um, you know, that performance against uh, Ulster last week was, was um, uh, abject.
4: Uh, we're, we're privileged to be joined by two former Intercounty minor footballers. So I'm sure both of you We'll have been very interested to hear the news that Gavin Duffy has joined the Mayo Gaelic football panel. Now, I'm sure this is something that maybe Shane, you might have just no. Just about.
0: Out, outline the credentials first of all.
4: Okay. Well, well, Shane played uh, intercounty uh, minor football for for Meath and uh, Liam Toland was picked up on the bus to the Munster, first round of the Munster Championship for for County Clare. That, that's basically it, I believe. I think that's the basic outline. But uh,
5: Except there wasn't a bus, Murph.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Shane, I, mean, I don't know. It's just something that you may have daydreamed about at stages during your old career, that you'd go back and gi- uh, give Gaelic football one more year. I don't know if, if that's something you did or not, but at the same time, Gavin Duffy is going into a, a Mayo panel here where maybe he's setting himself up for a fall. I mean, he's, he's taking up a sport that he hasn't played for 14 years or 15 years or something like that.
1: Yeah, well, when I sort of daydreamed about going back, um, playing, giving it one more year, I really thought about giving it one more year uh, for ten, not really for <laughs> not, that one more year trying to get back in the Meath uh, paddle. Uh, and also, it's not like, you know, with all due respect, he, he's not trying to get back in the Longford panel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's getting back in, in, in Mayo, who are, you know, one of the best, you know. Just like to
0: apologise to our Longford listeners there. Continue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, They'll be well used to it. Um, but uh, they're not going back into a week. side. So going back into you know possibly one of the top three teams in. Um in the country listen it's incredible for him I, I think uh, fair play to him for having the bottle to actually go and do it I'm jealous um whether he whether the skills will transfer at this stage I know Eric Miller went back and uh, had a couple of decent performance for, for Bally Bowden but they, listen the gap was just too big and, and Eric was a phenomenal footballer back in the back in the day and he had the same pedigree as Gavin at uh, underage football footballer maybe even greater so it is a big uh, it is a big leap but you know it's if you still fit and uh, he's keen on it you know I'm, I said I'm jealous that he's doing. It. it sounds fantastic. But
0: Murph, he was a phenomenal player, wasn't he? You've, you've seen yeah, him I mean,
4: I, I actually saw him playing in the 1999 Connacht minor final uh, against Joe Bergen. It was one of those kind of weird sliding doors moments that uh, everyone in Galway was talking about Joe Bergen. All of the Mayo fans at the game were talking about how, how good this Gavin Duffy guy was. Joe Bergen goes on and plays 14 years for Galway, 13, 14 years, wins Ireland. And Gavin Duffy w- moved to Harlequins. I think, the very next year. Um, but he is—he was an exceptional talent at the time. But again, it's—it's it's, Liam. It's such a huge ask for him to go back at, at a level, as Shane was saying. There, Mayo is, they're Mayo's—they're the second best team in the country, in the country. To ask him to to go in there uh, and ha- make some kind of an impact in a actually—and this is a big thing—I think—in a county where the atmosphere is right. Well, you played for Connacht, but the Mayo football team is fifteen levels above. <laughs> Above, above that, it, when, it, when it comes to the importance that people place on their sport, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of, well, you know, well, this seems like a nice little experiment, we'll let him off with it. If he doesn't have anything to offer the Mayo football team, he's going to get abused for it.
5: Yeah, but I suppose, oh, uh, sure uh, Murph, Murph in, 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 the, in the void that has been filled since the announcement is made, we don't know for sure. Sh- what his actual role is because we know that we're, we're talking around it and uh, um, I suppose historically certainly in Limerick here where I would have grown up and played a lot of uh, played all the sports here one of the things that we would have been noted for is uh, pre-professionalism is we would have uh, during the summer season would have gone back playing our GA game so the likes of Peter Clossy and all these guys the tradition for anyone based playing rugby uh, elite rugby in Limerick they would have all gone back playing so it was a normal transition but the world has changed the one thing I do recall when I did go back into Gaelic football during the summer was I was so used to the ball coming to me and in Gaelic games you're, the, the uniqueness of it is that you have a guy marking you right beside you and that seems like a small logical thing but it transforms the whole process that you could be like Gavin Duffy is, is one of the finest full backs we've had and I thought his last three or four seasons were s- superb but the ball tends to come to him and he tends not to be battling with another guy so that there's a unique difference between the games and that could actually set him that, that one year guard could set him apart. But until we know exactly what his role is, is his role to try and get on the, the starting side for Mayo? Because if that's it, that's an enormous challenge, an enormous task, and maybe too much for him.
0: I just can't get the image of Peter Clossey playing Gaelic football out of my head. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he I kind of sees, he strikes me as maybe a Jimmy Keaveny-style uh,
1: yeah. corner forward, I'm, I'm kicking I'm points. Full back or full <laughs> forward, nowhere else. Can yeah. you, imagine, yeah. you imagine some poor guy you know, just finishes leaving, <laughs> going to kick around <laughs> all the <laughs> summer <laughs> It comes out
5: and he's marking Peter Clossey. Uh, no yeah, time. But see, Shane, the, the, what's worse is Peter Clossey is one, but then there was Des Classy and Gerr Classy as well. So the three brothers. So you, yeah. you might think you would get away past one, but you certainly won't get past the three of them. But it, it, all joking aside, it, 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 it's part of the fabric here in Limerick and sport is that uh, the seasons you'd play rugby and inevitably all the guys I played with, when it came to a choice... Like we had a, a, a minor uh, um, a final, a Clare minor championship final uh, for Parteen, and we had a Munster Schools trial the same day. And uh, we had that inevitable uh, task, task of which one we pick. So we all picked the the rugby, but we went on and played uh, that afternoon. We played in the final out in Curlfinn as well. So that kind of stuff was happening all the time here in Limerick but definitely when, when you got the summer break from rugby nearly everyone went back into the local parishes or the local club team to, to play Gaelic games including the classes.
0: Alright lads really interesting stuff thanks so much for talking to us
5: No worries thanks, Take care me. Shane, Shane, Shane with the kick out The 42
3: year old goalkeeper Curran it out from goal Here he comes He's He
0: He's he 40 He's 50 year out from goal What the day for us common. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now When the real nigga gonna hold you down You're supposed to
3: drown Pam 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here And the whoa 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 be the last one Pam
4: All the game for us coming Leave a pretty girl sad
2: reputation Start a fight
3: for a reputation I asked the question Did
2: anybody who don't lose out dollar
3: fight it? Give me a te- te- text
0: if you know the answer. It'll be heartbreak on either side. Imagine being ate up. Imagine coming me down. No! you're tired. Jane has been lifted by
3: an umpire. A sub-goalie. Two castle bar men and a British man. I can't see Curran continuing. It could be his last race out of gold. What a day for us, coming. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice
0: dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want... No, I have to be beach ready, so I need to be a regular saver.
5: KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make saving simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call one 800 52 or pop into any KBC
0: hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Murph, sounds like Liam Tolan still has the passion there to make a return to junior hmm, football. I
4: don't know, I mean, if I was, if I was manager of the par-teen, is that, was that was that his club? Junior B's? I mean, I'd, be, I'd be picking up the phone right about now, you know?
0: He can yeah. still do a job for you. By the way, if I was up against the full-back line of three classes, Murph, that would be the morning I hide in my house from the junior manager who's outside beeping the horn. I'm not talking out for <laughs> yeah, that one. I would,
4: well, first of all, I'd, probably what I'd do is, I'm going to say, I'm going to play a third midfielder role. The, the, if the uh, farther out from goal basically <laughs> I can run in all four directions away from the, the class. I'm going to
0: question their athleticism there as well yeah
4: exactly I mean if you take him out the field right take him out the field maybe play yourself kind of in front of the centre back you know and if the manager is asking you, said listen I I just want more responsibility on this team you know, I, want, <laughs> I want to get my hand on the ball here you know play in front of the centre back then you've only got one class to deal with run around a lot and you know you could probably get away with a couple of just sort of Sort of impact bruises, but no bro- broken bones. Not a
0: great man, Peter Clossey, but a good man. Uh, uh, not a great man, Peter Clossey, but he stopped a great man playing. That's that's exactly what Peter Clossey would do. Let's talk Donald Trump for a second, where if I one found how he was greeted at Shannon Airport, completely nauseating. Uh, sure, he's investing 50 million in, in Beg, but it seems his celebrity attracted the Minister for Finance and Taoiseach. And regular second captain's contributor, Malachy Clerken, wrote a really strong piece to this yeah. in fact uh, in Tuesday's Irish Times. Um, but it turns out the Meister actually read it. Yeah. And uh, here's what he had to say on Sean
3: O'Rourke. I thought the article was very snarky, written by a guy who probably snarks at everybody. But frankly, uh, for the minister to say thank you for saving hundreds of jobs, because I don't know what would have happened with this place if I didn't buy it.
1: Somebody else would have. Uh, possibly. Good little comeback from Sean O'Rourke there.
4: Yeah, very nice. And it?
0: it also, what struck me there is that Maliki Clerken is actually one of the least snarky people he could possibly have mentioned, particularly in maybe in contributors to our show. Now, if you would have mentioned Ken, yeah. you know, that's, he was referring to there, that would have been completely accurate. One yeah. of the least positive voices you can have. But Maliki, <laughs> now he's got that one wrong.
4: Yeah, I think in fairness to uh Trump there, he has misread the situation ever so slightly.
0: It kind of strikes me, why does somebody spending a lot of money immediately warrant celebration? You know, it seems all previous opinions on the man should be dismissed because he spends 15 million. Yeah. Um, you and, know, it's, well, and I think th- it's, And it's also 15
4: million euro on a golf course. It's not exactly... sort of a life-saving investment in the country. I mean, you know, it's... it's
0: I also think people are still entitled to question his morality and his motivations and also to dislike him whether he invests in Ireland or not. Mm. And, say, for example, you wouldn't see... It would be very, very difficult to see Michael D. Higgins waiting at the bottom of the steps for Trump's private jet to shake his hand.
4: Yeah. uh, It's it's a pretty pretty strange uh, situation. But... You did mention Malky Clerkin there. Speaking of Malky Clerkin, he's got an interview with Dublin's own O'Gara in the Irish Times 2014 Championship Preview, free... Is that f- available today. Yes, and it's the for the, uh, the knockdown price of zero pence and zero euros. Uh, free with today's newspaper. It's got a wall shirt for the All-Ireland Hurling and Football Championships. It's got a county-by-county county guide. It's got Keith Duggan. Hell, it's even got a picture of Nicky English getting his How did nose you say this was, Murph? That's no, no euro and no cents. Quite frankly, Brother Horgan, it's your one-stop shop for all of your GA Championship
0: previewing needs. Let's get down to US Murph.
2: Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses.
1: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish
2: behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm
3: there. Strike three calls in the James. Brian Murphy, how you doing? I am great. We are experiencing a, uh, a bit of a heat wave here in uh, Northern California, which is unusual. We're usually the land of temperate climbs, so everybody's out and about. Enjoying the sunshine, baseball, NBA playoffs, NFL draft, fallout, just a good old spring, boys. How are
0: you? Oh, we're great. And what a weekend of the NFL draft as well, Brian. Two brilliant stories. Um which one was the biggest from your perspective? Was it Johnny Football's three hour wait to get chosen, or was it Michael Sam kissing his boyfriend on being a seventh round pick for the for the Rams?
3: Well, you're right. Those were the two big stories um of the weekend. One Johnny Football, one Mike one would be in the first round and one would be in the seventh round. It's kind of unusual for a seventh rounder to make such big news. Well, if you go by the standards of Sports Illustrated, which is just one way to go, it's not the only way to go, but I just saw that this week they put Johnny Football on the cover of their magazine. So uh, that's one way to go. It, one of the theories being that sort of Johnny Football, <laughs> it's kind of funny how this guy has just kind of... You know, arrived on the scene and just really dominated things. Uh, that you know, they're already talking about how they're going to handle the crush uh, at Cleveland Browns' mini uh, uh, training camp this summer. They're talking about restricting media access, like he's the president of the United States. I guess by a by a close, close, close call, the uh, the Manziel story has proven to have a day or two longer legs. However. If you want to look at the greater societal story and the greater, the greater story that people have said will, will have more of a lasting impact as we move forward and advanced our country, it's the Michael Sam story. And I'm sure most of your listeners know by now. But if not, Michael Sam, we talked about him when he came out. Yeah. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated then uh, as the first openly gay player to make himself available for the NFL draft. Would a team draft him was the question you know, it became this question, guys, of whether or not his skill set actually suited the NFL versus would teams overlook him because they didn't want the media circus to go with it. Well, the St. Louis Rams and Jeff Fisher, who's a very uh, respected and proud and veteran coach, uh, went ahead and, and selected Michael Sam in the seventh round. And that was the one part of the story. The other part. Which your listeners may or may not know is that Michael Sam was at home watching with his family and friends as most every draft pick is there's always it 's an age old story for draft picks to get called to be emotional and to celebrate, but we 'd never seen one get emotional and celebrate by kissing his boyfriend. Mm. We had never seen it before, and, and uh, there was a, a, just a ton of reaction to that striking image that we had never seen before, guys. So the bigger historical story was Michael Sam. The bigger gossipy story, uh, or sort of football gossipy story, was Johnny Football.
0: Well, let's talk Michael Sam first, then, because you mentioned Sports Illustrated. And on SI.com, Peter King, one of the biggest NFL analysts in the US, he wrote, ESPN will get a mountain of criticism for airing two gay men kissing, but the network shouldn't. ESPN aired reality. It was gripping TV. Did they get lots of criticism?
3: You know, I thought, read the same thing you did, and, and I was interested, I was um, curious that to use, use that, inform, uh, that word, get a mountain of criticism, because mm. they didn't, really, other than what, what you would consider your Neanderthals or your mouth breathers, guys who just don't ever want to accept any other form of love other than heterosexual love, and I think those are the kind of people that, if you pay any attention to them at all, there's just really, I mean, you're just kind of wasting your time. I can't think of or find any sort of respected or established critical voice in American media who was against it. So uh, I think Peter actually was a little bit overstated that on that, and, and they did not. I can think of two specific examples of, of public uh, figures who criticized it, and they're both very random and very weird. One was in a, a very obscure Miami dolphin named Don Jones. Nobody even knew who he was. He tweeted out, OMG, horrible about Michael Sam kissing his boyfriend. He was immediately reprimanded by the Dolphins and then released. But the bottom line is he wasn't a very good player. If he was a great player, they probably would have kept him. So that was one. And then the other is a – there's this kind of colorful basketball player, named Marshall Henderson for the University of Mississippi, who sent out a tweet saying, I will not turn on ESPN again until they stop showing this garbage. I have a 7- and 11-year-old brother who have to watch this. I'm horrified. And he's kind of a – he was kind of a well-known player because he was a – he's not an NBA – prospect or anything, but he was a very colorful player at Ole Miss. He talked a lot of smack, a lot of mess, and he he immediately was vilified for being so intolerant, and he, guys, pulled one of the most bizarre shenanigans. He then sent out about 11 straight tweets saying, Ha ha, I played a trick on you guys. My buddy is a psychology major, and he was doing a study on what kind of reactions that tweet would get. So you guys got served, and it was like, uh, "What?" That is like the lamest. Dog yeah. ate my homework. <laughs> tweets. Yeah. We've, we were like, "Oh my god!" I feel like I'm talking to a kindergartner here, you know. So, um, so Johnny uh, Marshall Henderson and, and that Dolphin safety were the only two. Other than that, guys, there was a ton of people reacted on both a human level and on a uh, sort of impact level. Just the human level was was striking to see. The two things, wasn't just the kiss with his boyfriend, which we would never seen before on national TV with an NFL player, but also the emotion that, that just released from Michael Sam. He, he cried. Now, a lot of draft picks cry when they're drafted. A lot of them do. It's a very emotional time for them. Their life's dream, their childhood dream is coming true, but it was di- his cry seemed to be different. It just seemed like such a release. Of what you obviously you saw, the stress that he had, must have been feeling ever since coming out, wondering how it was going to work out for him, wondering if he made the right move, wondering if he made the wrong move, you know, and just it was really touching to see how much it meant to him because he really sobbed. He really he had to bend over, he was crying so hard. And, and you really felt on a human level, wow, that's a guy yeah. who showed a lot of bravery and now has been rewarded. He is an NFL draft pick. Why did he get picked solo in the draft, Brian? Was that expected? You know, he did, in fairness to uh, the NFL evaluators, it seemed pretty consistent across the board that his skill set is, you know, we get—we go from college to the NFL, is a different game. There are many, many college stars who do not translate to the NFL, and most of it is size and speed, because once you get to the NFL draft, you're taking the best players from around the country, even from colleges you've never heard of, whose size and speed is blossoming as they hit their early 20s. And Michael Sam's size and speed, while it served him well in college, was not measuring up to some of the other guys coming out of college. So there were, he's a pass rusher on the outside edge, and there were guys with taller frames, longer arms, that's a big thing now is arm length, and guys who ran faster 40s. So when it comes to size, reach, and speed, he did not measure up as well as some of the others. Now, he produced well in college because he was going against, you know, a lot of linemen who weren't going to play in the NFL, and that was great for him. But when it came time to sort of measuring how he would go up against the best offensive tackles and the best offensive linemen, he was shown to have maybe a couple of chinks in the armor there. So, he, you know, he he came with some uh, asterisks as it were, you know. Now, you know, I guess somebody could leap to a conclusion and say, "No, they're You know, maybe they didn't want to take him because he's openly gay and would cause a distraction. You know, in all honesty, that didn't really seem to be that big of a deal once the furor died down. We are gratefully advancing as a society more and more, and people just really started to evaluate him on his measurables. So he fell to the seventh round. He didn't have to get drafted at all. You know, guys, there are any number of what they call undrafted free agents, guys who have good talent— and just don't get drafted because, for whatever reason, seven rounds go by and, and they didn't get picked. And any number of guys who wind up being successful in the NFL, too. In fact, the Seattle Seahawks just won a Super Bowl, much to my dismay, with two wide receivers who were not drafted. Uh, Doug Baldwin and uh, Jerm- Javon Kurse. So you can have undrafted free agents who wind up being successful. And that's what there was a chance for that with Michael Sam. But Jeff Fisher and the Rams... You know, I always do my... <laughs> seems like every week I recommend a piece to you guys. And uh, I would I would recommend Michael Silver's um, column on NFL.com. He's a great football writer, a good friend of mine from Northern California, who parenthetically introduced me to my wife, by the way. Uh, oh, what a guy. <laughs> apropos of nothing, guys. Uh, but um, he wrote a great column. He was in the Rams, quote-unquote, war room, or draft headquarters for the entire... He, he has a good relationship with Jeff Fisher, the Rams coach, so he chose to be in the Rams war room and he had a front row seat to it and jeff fisher just decided he it was time he said you know we could sign this guy as an undrafted free agent or you know some other team could but i'm going to draft him is it i'm going to it's time and he basically drafted him to make a statement uh, on a number of levels one that he was proud of michael sam for his courage and two that he, he wanted to see this guy get rewarded and wanted to have his moment in the sun and three You know what? He said, I'm going to give him a chance to make my team. So it was a really – Jeff Fisher came off as looking really, really strong and good in this piece. It's on NFL.com. Michael Silver in the Rams war room.
4: Uh, We spoke uh, when Michael Sam came out, I think it was in February, about how he maybe has a chance to be a hero to a lot of people. But we were concerned. I think it was even – you even raised the concern that maybe – He's he wouldn't be that type of person that the the sum total of what you would get from him would be oh you know I'm just here to play football that kind of thing but if he's kissing his boyfriend live on ESPN I think it's fair to say that this guy has uh, has plenty of courage to go with it
3: yeah you know and and, and now he's got this chance to um, kind of back it up really I mean he's he's doing press conferences now and he's He's out there, and it's now going to be a whole nother chapter in this whole thing. So we've done the chapter where he declared that he was gay and made himself available for the draft, and now we've written the chapter where he actually gets drafted by the Rams and, like you said, made that bold move of kissing his boyfriend on national TV, live TV, which really, you know, we've never seen that before in an NFL, uh, NFL draft. Student. And now it's how he goes forward from here. And everybody said, You know, when he came out, we had any number of NFL players supporting him, saying, you know what the NFL is? The NFL is about winning. And if this guy can help me win in my locker room, I'm all for him. So it's going to be about how he behaves now. You know, this is probably a topic we'll revisit, guys, in a few months when uh, training camps open in July and August, and whether or not he makes the team as to how he handles it. You know, how how many interviews is he going to do about being a gay player? How many, you know, is he going to shut down the media and say, I'm just here to play football? Or is he going to bring out, you know, um gay awareness groups to practice or is he going to do commercials or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff yet to be written as to how this guy defines himself as the first openly gay football player in NFL history, uh, it, it, it's going to be really fascinating. And and like I said, we've we gone through two chapters. We have another one coming. Why was poor Johnny Football made to sweat up, Brian? He was
0: the, <laughs> the best player in college football last year, and this season he wasn't quite as good. And there's speculation that he's become arrogant and he's trouble controlling his behavior, maybe he didn't have the focus to be an NFL player, to become an NFL player. Is this the issue with him? You, you kind of talked about all the characteristics that... Uh, that uh, NFL teams look for in players and the, how they have to adapt from college football is his character the issue with Johnny Football?
3: It's definitely one of them. You kind of said it right there yourself that he um, he was a bit of a hot button guy. He was a bit of a um, he was a bit of a question mark uh, for some teams because of what you just mentioned. His attitude. There's also his size. He's, he measured out at five foot eleven, and I think I read. I'm pretty darn sure. No quarterback under six feet tall has ever been drafted in the first round. Wow. Now the counter to that is that Russell Wilson is five foot eleven and he was drafted in the third round by the Seattle Seahawks and he just won a stinking Super Bowl. So uh you can say, hey, I don't care how tall he is, Russell Wilson just won a Super Bowl. But we get back to what we were just talking about, those measurables again and, and Manzel was not you know, you want Colin Kaepernick, six foot five. You want Teddy Bridgewater from Louisville, you know, six foot four these are easy things for personnel evaluators to do because you want a tall, strong presence guy can see over the line. When you take Manziel and give up that height against, again, as we've talked about, when you get to the NFL, man, you are weeding out all those little college players that he's better than, and he's only going against the best of the best, and huge defensive linemen like Jadavion Clowney, who is the number one overall pick, and, and guys like that. So it brings up an issue. You know, Can Johnny Manziel's college game of scrambling around – outrunning slower linebackers from college and making plays on the run. Will that be the same when he scrambles around and a linebacker who went to a small college that you've never heard of, but runs way faster than anybody Johnny Mm. Manziel faced last year, tackles him, you know? So, so that was one issue, but the other issue you brought up was the attitude that there is, there was genuine concern as to how serious is this guy about dedication to the craft. You know, you think about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are the two guys over the last 15 years Sort of redefined the quote unquote you know quarterback mindset, which is just I am going to study harder than anybody i 'm going to watch more film than anybody i 'm going to throw more routes and practice to my guys and it 's these you know you basically have to be a pretty boring guy you can 't go live the lifestyle, the partying lifestyle, even though Tom Brady does have the supermodel wife from Brazil they don't do much stuff except for the off season during the season he's not courtside at games or flashing the bling or getting on the private jets and all that stuff and there's a bit of concern is Johnny Manziel going to be you know he's going to get a lot of a lot of money now as he likes to show us his move is to rub his index finger and his thumb together that's the the cover of sports illustrated that's his move saying i've got money i'm making money i'm making paper You know, uh, is that an endearing trait of a charismatic winner who will always outfight you to the end? Or is that the cocky behavior of a guy who's not focused on the task at hand and is just trying to make a photo op, you know? So that's the risk. And, you know, as it it turns out, guys, you know, Mark and Murphy didn't really fall that much. He was still drafted in the first round, which is a tremendous honor. It just so happened to be that there were two quarterbacks taken in front of him, and he'll just have to kind of always wear that. And so, you know, it wasn't like he fell to the sixth round, but he did fall to 22, reminiscent of the Aaron Rodgers story, where he fell to 24 with Green Bay, and look what happened to him. He was an MVP and won a Super Bowl.
4: Yeah, but I mean, it, it is kind of hilarious, the Johnny Manziel, Johnny football phenomenon. The hype got to such a degree that the Dallas Cowboys passed on him and the Dallas owner, Jerry Jerry Jones, Brian, <laughs> said, it's not the usual development guy behind an accomplished quarterback. He's a celebrity. He's Elvis Presley. I mean, if Jerry Jones is turning you down because you'd bring too much hype to your organization, <laughs> I think that's the moment when you know that you're, you're in uh, pretty much uncharted waters.
3: It was an outstanding quote from Jerry Jones. <laughs> and you're absolutely right in the sense that when that, I mean, Jerry Jones may be the ultimate... So, you know, showman who's you know who who fired an egomaniac who fired a coach who was most people say would be the best coach uh, in NFL in the last since Bill Walsh or Bill Belichick I guess that would be Jimmy Johnson and fired him just because he didn't kind of like like the way he overshadowed him I mean Jerry Jones has a long history of of screwing up personnel and of inserting himself into the mix, and when he's saying that about you, you're absolutely right. It is time to uh, to really kind of step back and take, take stock, because uh, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know, Muhammad Ali saying some guy uh, talks too much or something, you know? So, uh, Johnny Manziel will always wear that, and I have to tell you guys, for a first-round draft, uh, the most exciting ten minutes of the draft were when the Cowboys were on the clock, because, um, you know, it was certain that Tony Romo's 33, 34 years old now. He's getting a little older, and everybody said, oh, my God, this is it. This is the time the, the Cowboys are going to take. So it's a 10 minutes between picks. And everybody was saying, they're going to do it, they're going to do it. We're going to have media explosion. And, and the room got very excited. It was easily the most charged 10 minutes. And they stepped to the mic and took an offensive lineman named Zach Martin. Everyone like, Oh, (laughs) And so it was like a huge letdown And by the way, I think I said Manzo was uh, the third quarterback taken He was the second quarterback taken behind Blake Bortles Blake Bortles of Central Florida
0: Brian, before we let you go, your fellow American Donald Trump has invested in Ireland He's bought Doonbeg Golf Course in County Clare We've been discussing how uncomfortable it was watching our politicians roll out the red carpet For a man who's pretty damn dislikable Uh, Should we though be welcoming this wealthy American overlord to our shores? Is he what this country needs, Brian?
3: My God, a, a loud, boorish, wealthy American <laughs> invades the tranquil shores of Ireland. Fa- kind of Fa- as well, Brian, you know? County Clare, my boys, the, the Banner <laughs> County, the windswept hill of Toa. Oh my God. Dunebeg golf course. Uh, no, you guys are totally right to slap your forehead and roll your eyes. How come the cool Americans don't go over there and hang out, man? How come you guys get like the uh, the loud, boorish guys, man? You know, knew, uh, we actually knew we didn't even have to ask that question. We knew you were with us. <laughs> Did, do you guys see the movie The Field with Richard Harris, right? Of course, oh, of course, of course yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So is he like the Tom Berenger character? <laughs>
0: I'm so well, Mur- Tom Berenger has much better hair. And Mur- Murphy Murph is the man who's going to fight him. That's what yeah. I saying. He's the, he's the tiger in this story.
3: Who's the Bull McCabe, right? Oh, who's God, the I Bull McCabe? Know. That's you guys. Oh, well, McDevitt. Yeah, there you go. Very good call, boys. Yeah, I can't believe it. Oh boy, Dune isn't that? The, that's that beautiful one that Greg Norman built, right? Yeah, that's the
4: one. Yep, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, the one. Oh so he's boy. invested well, you know. fifteen million euro, which doesn't seem like a whole lot of money for our uh, prime minister and minister of finance to be waiting at the 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 foot of his uh, the the steps of his private jet. But nevertheless, oh, Brian, boy. we we must abide.
3: Well, I guess you know what they say: money talks, and the other thing walks, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's BS it. walks, money talks. So there you go. That's what we say in America, at least. So, <laughs> all right. All right, Brian. Well, listen, hey, if Donald Trump uh, can get us a tea time, then it's all good, right? All right, mate.
0: Listen, thanks a million for talking to us, Brian.
3: All right, Mark and Murph, take care.
0: Oh, McDevitt will play the bull. What was I thinking? That's ridiculous. Michael D. Higgins will play the bull, McCabe. Obviously, he's the one protecting his land. Yep. And also, you're more the bird territory than Tig. let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that Tig was the John
4: Hurt. I had actually just misremembered basically the entire plot of the field I presumed that you were calling me the bird there just because you insult me <laughs> a lot but okay Tyg is the, the young son who doesn't want to fight okay well I, I could probably handle Tyg Right Murph the championship this weekend what are we looking at? Well Toronto Dan's the is the big game in the Ulster championship and we are looking at two teams who could possibly win the Ulster title as we were talking on uh, Monday with Usher McConville and Anthony Moles and Malky Clerken uh, Tyrone, maybe you're the team in Ulster most likely to go on and win the All Ireland of the six likely winners of the Ulster title. But, uh, we'll see, we'll see how they're shaping up. And that's, that's probably going to be the big story then. But there's actually in, in, Leinster as well Wicklow, Leash, Longford Offaly, and Westmead Louds. Uh, there are three games in the preliminary round of the Leinster Championship. And, uh, there's also Roscommon and Leitrim in the Connick Championship. And Roscommon, you know, are, Possibly uh, one of the more interesting counties in the in the country at the moment, given the fact that they won Division Three uh, and won it convincingly and, and beat scored one eighteen on a very defensively minded, very defensively strong Cavan team in the Division Three final. Uh, you would fancy them to to beat Leitrim, particularly in Hyde Park, uh, and that sets them up for uh, a shot at Mayo. And realistically, that's the only chance uh, I think that Mayo are going to get beaten in the Connacht Championship this year. So it will be interesting to see them. Basically, though, Mark, Mm. it's just great that the whole thing's starting. Really, (laughs) that's just the that's just the main thing that I take from this. We'll talk about
0: all that on Monday's show. Before we go, Murph, I've Mm. noticed a worrying trend. I think you have as well, and I'd like to hear our listeners' views on this. Tweet us at Second Captains. The weather's getting nicer, thankfully, Mm. and it appears a lot of people are deciding to walk home from work, walk home from their offices. On the streets of Dublin yesterday, we noticed a staggering number of people who are changing out of work shoes and into giant Asics runners for their walks home. Now, we don't mean to be rude, but business attire with giant marathon. Often the luminous runners looks ridiculous and we're struggling to really understand if it's completely necessary.
4: It's like uh, it's like they looked at their female counterparts and they wear heels in the office and then they put on a pair of runners to go home. Yeah, yeah. maybe just
0: uh, our former colleague Annette Freeman she was a great woman for the giant runner upon leaving the office.
4: And like You know, you can see that. If you're wearing high heels, your foot is at an unnatural angle, right? You're asking you know, you're you're basically your your foot is at whatever it is. We're talking about maybe a twenty-five degree tilt there, whatever. Mm. That's uncomfortable. I can see why that is uncomfortable. But if you're a guy who's wearing, you know, suit shoes, dress shoes with your suit, to then change into a pair of runners is just the most ridiculous thing. Are the the work shoes
0: really that uncomfortable? The ten minute walk is gonna play havoc with your arches. Instead of buying a pair of runners for your walk home
4: why don't you just buy a slightly better pair of <laughs> shoes which you can then wear all the time they
0: often look like really expensive runners as well yeah. you know they're not, you're not negotiating Mach- Machu Picchu here no I, I, I just
4: I don't get it Mark I got extremely angry when I, I was walking down what street was it I was walking along, along uh, Marion Square onto Bagus Street there And I saw four people within 20 seconds, all of them wearing, not just runners, not just sticking on a pair of Converse, like wearing marathon runners, as you say, ASIC's big, huge heels on them.
0: I just, I don't get it, Mark. I just don't get it. I think power walking as well. (laughs) They may be power walking towards the bus. And if you must wear runners, just get out of the suit. Yeah. That's fine. Get out, change out of the suit in the office. Don't just, just no runners, giant runners with your suits. Yeah. Yeah. We we'll implore you, no more high techs.
4: Yeah, it's literally as stupid as taking off your suit trousers, putting on a pair of shorts, but then still leaving your shirt, tie and, and suit jacket on. That's get how ridiculous a, Get in
0: touch with us and let us know if this is a countrywide phenomenon. Don't forget, you can listen to uh, us on our page. That's irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. We're on iTunes, the Stitcher app on SoundCloud. And if you're on Android, try the IPP app. Email us at second captains at the Irish Times. And if you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at second captains, obviously. Oh, McDevitt's back on Monday he'll be sporting a spectacular farmer's tan?
4: Uh, well, probably not. I mean, is the sun in May actually strong enough to benefit that (laughs) thick coating of fur? Actually, I think
0: it's unfair because every time Owen Owen McDevitt goes away on holiday, it's the same joke about the sun not being able to penetrate his name. It it was a good gag eight years ago. It's still a good gag today, Mark. All right, McDevitt will be back on Monday with a shiny head. See you, folks.
3: That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those boys.
2: Market. Market.